Welcome to The Dive Table. I'm Jay Gardner, and with me is Mr. Ben Boss, back again for our second episode together, coming all the way from uh, sunny Denmark. No, <laughs> from Denmark is Ben. Ben, how are you doing today? Good, good. Dude, anything but sunny. I mean, this the summer has definitely gone here. It's windy, rainy, cold as a refrigerator. It's starting to get miserable. It's time to book a flight to, <laughs> to, to your side of the pond, I think. Yeah. Come stay with us for another couple of weeks. And, uh, oh, good Lord, that. yeah. So when was the last time you took a non-scuba training? Like, you know, whatever it was. What was the last thing you had to learn from somebody non-scuba? Oh, a, non, a non-scuba thing... Well, as a part, like a course or what? Whatever, something you had to learn from somebody. Yeah, well, actually, uh, not that long ago, I uh, I took a um, a skills session uh, in swimming, in 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 freestyle swimming. Nice. And how did it go? Well, great because it's so nice to be on the other side, and you know, when when you're teaching a lot in your life, and you're you're you're. I'm I'm going to as far as to say as by now after they've done this for 24 years professionally, you know, it's becoming not what you do, it's becoming what you are. Mm. And turning it around and and putting yourself in the student's place is so refreshing because you and it, in that case it was very close to what we do. You know, because this guy is filming me in the swimming pool and giving me technique things. It was like like have, hearing me talk about someone that <laughs> needs to learn how to use his fins, you know? And you would think that I'd have a grasp on how it works to move through water. But damn, you, you, you use your hands instead of your feet and everything changes. The whole thing changes. So that was that was eye-opening. Yeah. 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 yeah no, the last time, unfortunately for me, that I what was recent, I had to take some compliance training. And it was all virtual compliance training. Oh my gosh, it was just like pulling your hair out. You know the uh, yeah. They they kind of treat you like you're a, you're a three year old. Like you can't even read. So they're gonna voice over everything and mm. make it so explicit. And then there's like a forty question quiz that all of them yeah. are. You know, so, you know. There's some there's some variance in what the answer could be, uh, and they just go for it. So um, yeah, and and that kind of sets up today because we're talking about training which would be kind of fun yeah yeah cool so we were talking we when you were here and we thought hey wouldn't it be fun we both have spent a lot of time of our life (laughs) designing training quote unquote but really transformation you know shifting the way that people behave and think about things for adults right for for people that are well adults right we in in Mm. your scuba you're doing um, you know, people that are certified divers or, or certifying divers, definitely adults, no longer kids. For me, I don't know if a lot of the podcast world knows this f- for me, but I do a lot of uh, work in the innovation side. So training people who have their MBAs and you know, all these sorts of things in, in big businesses, how to behave differently, how to um, not act like a big company, but act like a startup, scrappy and, and learn first and, and be okay with failure. It's a total mindset shift for a lot of that. And so we thought yeah. it'd be fun to do a cool uh, podcast on that. So you you looking at, are you ready to uh, to jump into this one? Yeah, definitely. Because we we were I remember we were talking back and forth like, hey, we should do the other episodes and what should we talk about? And then I think 
all of a sudden in the car it just came to us like hey hey you know let's it's it was the most obvious choice to just talk <laughs> about actually what we're doing here designing scuba education and i think i think you you hit the nail on the head when you said it's like hey eliciting a different behavior because that's kind of the essence of why we are a bit different in the way we teach i guess uh, with the you know within utd is it it's not a simple list of uh, check marks to be ticked off in a on a slate or a bunch of standards that just need to be fulfilled and that's it we're we're, we're really looking at behavior of of people but now in a different environment we we kind of without getting ahead of ourselves but we kind of look at okay you as a person want to experience the underwater world great let's first and foremost start to see how you as a person will behave underwater mm-hmm. as as a physical being so yeah the motory aspect of that on the entry level classes at least are extremely heavy and i think under under um uh, underplayed or under underestimated under how you say underemphasized in in certain you know, like when i look at myself like the way i used to teach um in the early days for sure so yeah all right well let's get into this one a podcast for scuba divers everywhere take your seat at the dive table with your hosts jay gardner and ben boss so i guess to set everything up the the first thing is you know how what do you, how do you approach designing training for adults so the to kind of set it up in a little bit more context i think what we're talking about in the intro there what we're trying to do is is look at okay there's a, a problem to be solved or, or whatever that would be, a desired outcome from a student. They, they start from that perspective. And if mm-hmm. we take something like, you know, let's say Tech One, for example, they're a diver. Yeah. The problem to be solved is they, they want to extend the depth that they go to, right? And, uh, and they want to have that tech card so they could buy helium, right? That's the kind of problem that they're coming in. At. And then there's this outcome. There's this other side that says, okay, they have their their the skills, the tools, um, to be able to then do that. Right. Yeah. And in between that, those two ends, the desire and the problem and the outcome or the resolution of that, something has to be there. And that's the training, right? That's okay. I'm going to go take a course and behind the scenes there for a lot of you that have never designed courses or, or been in, involved in that is a lot of thought of, okay, how would that course go? What are the things that need to happen? So on and so forth to produce mm-hmm. this outcome from this state. So let's talk a little bit about that. How, how do you approach, you know, the design of, of something to solve the problem, to produce the outcome when you're thinking about, you know, tech one or open water or, or yeah. whatever it is. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention before we jump too far into this, if you don't know, I probably should have set you up a little bit better here, Ben. Ben is the <laughs> training director for UTD, Unified Team Diving. Um, has designed tons of courses uh, over the course of his career. And so when he he's speaking on these things, um, this is coming from his experience and, and in being successful as an agency 
in producing those outcomes. So just wanted to set that up because I forgot to mention that in the beginning. Not everyone knows you as well as I do. No, that's true. We kind of know each other and then we just skipped over it. But I think these podcasts on that note, you know, when when we're talking in this casual way, uh, I think there's a more an organic flow to them, so to speak. So, yeah, that was the intro. So. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> so. All right, go for it. So how do you approach these the, this in-between space of, okay, I need to design something yeah. to solve this problem? Exactly. So, so the, the 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 materials we put out there are twofold, right? They're 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 learning materials, they're educational materials for the user, but they're tools and work, um, uh, yeah, work tools for the instructors that use them out there. So they're they're twofold, and that that poses uh, its own set of challenges when it comes to building out the the curriculum for a set class let's say a tech class so when we first look at when we start to look at the um, the user the student or the the potential student um, what I always think about is there has to be some kind of an alignment of expectation like you set it up perfectly like okay they come in with a certain need to solve a problem and be that in their mind uh, getting a certification card so that they can safely do these dives from a liability point of view you know okay if they're doing these dives to certain depths technical range uh, in that jargon uh, the insurance company might require a certain level of certification before they, they can actually do these things but also gas fills like you need to show a certain level of certification so there's a practical aspect of that hey in order for me to rent this car, I need to present my driver's license. Mm-hmm. Great. I need to go get my driver's license because I want to rent this car. You know, that's a very pragmatic view to it. And obviously, that is a big part of it, for sure. But scuba diving is also very unregulated. Because I always feel, I say, surprised almost but proud is like if someone asks me hey can i see your certification card and it's very rare right i mean how often do you actually hear that question um which is strange though because people spend a lot of time and effort and money in getting that card and then it never gets asked uh, let alone the logbook or you know something like that so so when you look at the pragmatic point part of it it's it's easy mm-hmm basically, because, okay, great. If someone wants to use this in a pragmatic form, they need to learn certain theory. They need to know how to handle certain pieces of equipment from a practical point of view. And that's it. There you go. Off you go. Um, Because all the other stuff is kind of hard to measure, right? I can measure your knowledge on theory. Like, okay, great. Uh, Gas filling. What, what what gases are you allowed to dive with? It's a very simple wrong or correct answer. Right. Um, all, that, all that sort of stuff is measurable. So that's super easy to build into a class. I'll just make a presentation. In that presentation, you will get some facts and figures. You learn them. You do a little quiz. And you can test yourself. At the end, you do a little exam. And you get the outcome. And you've passed because you made not enough mistakes to not pass. And then you get the card. Great. Perfect. Um, that's all fine. But 
what I think is interesting within the scuba industry, especially, especially as well in the higher classes, is the latent desire that people have. And in that, I mean the desire or the problem they're having, but they're not aware of the problem that they're having. Mm. Uh, and way back when, um, I, I come from a marketing background. I used to sell everything. That I've sold everything except houses and boats. I think that everything else I've sold probably, <laughs> you know, sofas, stereos, cars, copy machines, coffee, you name it, whatever, everything, paper, everything in between. Um, so I come from a marketing background and, and did a lot of courses there with regards to sales and sales technique. And a lot of things wound back to what people say they want might not be the actual thing they need. They just don't know they need that more than the thing they express that they want. Right. <laughs> you still with me? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, so, and, and then I think that's the, that's the key because if you tell me, hey, I need a green pair of pants, and I tell you, I can just see, okay, green is not your color, buddy. <laughs> but but hey, you know, geez, you asked me for green pair of pants. If I just come propping up to you with a blue pair of pants, then you try these on. Hello, I asked you for a green pair of pants. Right. You know, there's no there's no connection. Uh, the alignment of expectation is not met. It's like, okay, this guy clearly didn't hear what I was saying, mm -hmm. except... I did hear what you were saying, but I took it three steps further than you were ready to be. So I could have gone down the path and say, you know what? Green would be great, but blue would actually match your shirt better or your eyes better, whatever, you know, go down that path. Somehow to build a bridge between your expectation and my knowledge to meet me. Oh, wait a minute. I never thought of it that way. Maybe I do need blue pants instead of green pants. Right. What kind of blue pants do you have? And all of a sudden, they're into the blue pants. But you have to set it up, right? It's like, and I, I've done this a million times. I've come back to scuba diving uh, with in the technical range with regards to um, reaching your valves on a pair of doubles, right? It's a very, one of these, these pillar uh, skills that technical divers need to grasp, a bit like the back kick, all that sort of stuff, right? These very existential, pillory, milestone things that they can do or can't do. And if they come up to me, it's like, hey, can you help me reach my valves? Sure. Let's work on your modified frog kick. And sometimes I would just throw it out there, just throw them off a little bit because to see what they would do, how, how they would react, right? And most of the time, it's like, what, what? No, no, no. Valves on the other end of my body, yeah. not my fins, <laughs> you know? Dude, open your ears. Right. But when you then dig into it and when you start taking them down the the path of okay, um let's let's look at this from a um from a teacher's point of view that slowly feeds the student with bits of information so that they end up being able to make their own conclusions. That's when you have good education. Um, so we'll come back to that later. But so when you then explain to them that, okay, wait a minute, why are you unable to reach your valves? Well, a big cause could be that the set of your back is just, that's laying on your back, is further down. As soon as you reach 
behind you, it's very normal and very intuitive thing to scrouch forward and maybe come out of trim a little bit because you want to move up towards where those valves are behind you. And, you know, without going into the details of how to actually touch your valves, I mean, there's other sources for that. <laughs> uh, for example, the material we have. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you explain to them that the reason why um, has to be addressed first. Because if you get the reason why you can't you reach your valves, then you can start to work on that reason, build it up, and then you can actually know that, wait a minute, for me to be able to touch my valves, I need to be able to do something else first. Mm -hmm. Namely, keep myself in horizontal trim position, being able to manipulate that bubble of gas in your dry suit. And voila, I do that via a modified frog kick because then I can manipulate my body uh, horizontally in the water uh, and keep my equipment where it is on my back. That way, I can then focus on reaching back with my hand and touch my valves. Mm -hmm. Now, there's other examples like this as well. It's like, okay, if I need to do a, a back kick, um, people focus a lot on pulling the heels to their torso. Um, and they're, they're engaging all different muscles that they're used to use when they want to get their feet closer to their buttocks, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and if we stand upside, and that's what I usually do when I stand up uh, beside the car in the parking lot, and I said, okay, bring your feet to your buttocks. Everyone just lifts their leg up like we do when we walk or run or jump. And exactly that is what you're not supposed to do when you do a back kick. Right. But but it's, it, it's that initial neurological pathway that needs to be built with from your from your your in this case yeah your head down to your feet to move in a different way and and that's that's the trick yeah. i think uh, so when we then come back to the topic uh, designing that into course materials it has to be in such a way that the student can read it or listen himself or, or visually see on a video themselves doing these things and it has to be at the same time in a way that the instructor can use the materials to put their own thoughts and their own experience um, to to emphasize and and enhance the materials uh, in such a way that the, the student learns something that they cannot get out of just the course materials yeah so that's the challenging part yeah, and I think what you're describing, like a, a big bucket of that is this ability to put yourself into the student's shoes, even though you're well beyond that. So it's this empathy piece of, like, can I walk back in the shoes of when I was learning this yeah. to apply some of that? And I always use, you know, to, to drive home your point about, you know, what people say versus what they, they do or what they really need. I always talk about coffee when you talk about empathy and you talk about observation, mm -hmm. you know, you go to a coffee shop and you run a survey and you ask everybody what you want, bold, strong coffee or mild coffee or weak, watery coffee. Everybody's going to say, you know, well, most people say at least statistically, mm -hmm. I want bold, strong coffee. Yeah. Right? And then you go, okay, great. So I'm going to give you your bold, strong coffee. That's what you need. That's what you said you need, what you want. 
And then if you just spend five minutes in a Starbucks and watch people who order that bold, strong coffee, what's the next thing they go do? They walk over to the counter and they pour some cream in or some milk and they pop mm. a bunch of creamy or sugars and they dump it mm. in and they stir it up and they hold it up to their mouth. They go, ah, that's it. Yeah. And you go, well, what do they really want? They wanted milky, sugary, sweet coffee. That's what they really <laughs> want because that's what they did, right? You yeah. know, that's the, the difference. And so if you're not able to put yourself back in that as a, as a training designer, as, as a content designer, education designer, in the shoes of, of the customer that's, that's saying, I want bold coffee, and you know what they really are saying is they want sugary sweet coffee, the gap between how we get from A to B is, is that design, is exactly what you're talking about, is those breadcrumbs yeah. of, okay, I already know this. And it's easy for someone like you, who's very experienced, to just say, do it this way, right? And th mm. this, this is what you should do. And that leaves out that middle ground of the student having the, the epiphany, the student coming to their own conclusion of, oh, this is what it should do. And I think that's the magic of, of good design when it comes to education is that the student arrives at the conclusion that the instructor or that the designer of that education was intending them to, to arrive to on their own, that we were able to lead them down that path. Yeah. And, and that's hard. That's a hard, you know, you know, needle to thread. And I think one of the, one of the keys here, and, and I want to talk about too, the, the, uh, the train the trainer side, because that's a whole different discussion. But yeah. one of the keys here is I think, you know, understanding what is my level or my ability to practice that empathy, to practice that ability to put myself in their shoes, to remember what it was like. Uh, and sometimes it's too far, right? Sometimes it's too far away, you know, to go back to your open water class. And you say, okay, well, maybe I can go observe some open water classes and understand what they're trying to do and what they're what they're really you know um, doing rather than what they say in their review of the class or those sorts of things. But empathy is really the the first foundation, I think, to to any good design, but especially when it comes to adult um, you know education. Is can I put myself in their shoes? And if I can't, then there's no way I can help them get to the outcome that I want them to get to. Um, with the, the level of quality that I want them to do. And I think that's a really important point that you're kind of drawing together and bucketing it into the empathy bucket here. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and, and yeah, it is so important for instructors and educators or dive masters for that matter, you know, to, to join other classes. I do that myself. I sometimes I work together with the instructors we have here in Denmark. It's like, Hey, can I, can I join you? You know, and and then you know, let them do their thing, and I'll just watch. And it's so nice because they're t and some of these guys I trained myself, so it would be very easy to jump to the conclusion. But what can you learn from that? Well, mm -hmm. tons. You know, during IDCs, we always say when the student learns ten things, the instructor learns a hundred. Mm -hmm. And 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 it's true because they're you, you're always evolving. Uh, as a person, but also as an educator. And you have to be in that open mindset. It's like, hey, finding ways to get the point across because everyone learns in a different way. And that's the hard thing of having online educational materials um, if they were used without an instructor that can modulate and emphasize on certain points uh, than, than having not 
uh, an instructor there or everything is just online based. And I think skipping the theory part and just checking if the student passed a a course online uh, is too too fast because they might have lost some nuances. And, And the way we've designed our education and continually design our programs is they all feed back into each other um, because, and, and that, oof, that's also tricky, right? Because we work from this holistic approach to scuba diving. We have a certain core principle founded in the DIR philosophy, um, which, which is a mindset about standardization, if anything else. And, and, and it has to be that people can dive underwater or explore underwater using different platforms, but there has to be a common thread through those platforms. There has to be a common thread in the procedures they use whenever a certain platform makes more sense, right? There still has to be a similarity because uh, that way all the training complements each other. I remember uh, when we talked with the other students when I was over uh, about cave versus tech class, like what should come first? Should you first become a technical diver, so you know about the valves, you know about the gases and all that sort of stuff, and then go cave diving? Or can you take your cave class and then later go tech diving? Now, if I speak for our way of teaching, you know, both cave and tech, it doesn't matter. You can go either way. Because if you go down the cave path first and then the tech path later, you'll become a better uh, cave diver because of the tech training after the cave class. If you go the tech path, tech path first and then cave afterwards, you'll become a better tech diver after a cave class because they complement each other on such a level that is um, almost unprecedented. Uh, because all our education is just built upon the next, upon the previous level, so to speak. It's never one step back to go two steps forward. Um, because that would just be a waste of time and money for everybody, for everybody, for for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think too, the other thing that you bring up here is how do we also think about the, the person that's going to utilize this as a tool, not necessarily Mm. consume it as, as an education. And I'll tell you, there's nothing harder for me than, sitting in the front row of a training I designed watching somebody else train it and staying and learning to shut up. That was a really hard skill for me to learn Mm. like, Hey, you need to be quiet and let other people teach it the way they're going to teach it. Yeah. And you know, and let them be them. And even though you would have said it this way, or you, you like this story here or you, you know, whatever it would be, you have your own way that's not the only way. So it has to be big enough. And that was a big learning for me. It has to be big enough that, that there's room for other people to then take that, make it their own and then pass it to a student. And I think, um, you know, some of what you're describing in, in that, you know, building block mentality of saying, Hey, everything's going to build on something else is also true when it comes to how you train the trainers, right? How you train the instructors in scuba to then take these educational materials, which are designed in such a way, 
and then be able to apply them to a, a diver who's trying to take a course to accomplish X, Y, or Z. And yeah. I think sometimes in, in the training that that's a step that gets missed in, in the sense that I could, I know I've designed amazing trainings that when I teach it, it's amazing. And then somebody else gets a hold of it and trains it. And it's not as, as impactful. And you go, Oh, well, you know, the temptation to say, Oh, well, my, my ego, like I'm that good. And mm. the reality is you have to go back and say, well, no, I'm not, I'm actually not that good. I'm actually bad in the sense that I couldn't design a training that somebody else could take. And so I think yeah. there's a philosophical split in the sense of, of, you know, on one end as an educator, as an instructor, I need to be able to take content, make it my own, make it amazing, apply it um, in the way that the student will understand it. But as a, you know, if you take the step up from there, as you are, as the training director, designing the training for then me as an instructor to use, you have to design it in such a way that that myself and an instructor in China, an instructor in Australia, an instructor in, you know, Mexico can take all of that and make it their own with their own stories. And that's, Bring across that's a the tough same one. point. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet still come across, still solve the same problem. Yeah. Um, because ultimately UTD in this case is the certifying agency. We have to get you know, to our standards and then say, yeah, that's a tech one UTD diver or not. Exactly. Now we have tools in place that, that helped the instructor obviously on this path. I mean, for years we've had what we call a playbook, you know, um, and, and it's a, it's more than just our, uh, instructor manual, uh, as you get so much with, with so many other organizations, uh, the instructor manual we have is the list of standards and what needs to be accomplished in certain classes. Whereas our playbook is a guide to how to logistically set up certain classes and, and, and to them to the smallest detail, like to where does your thumb go in this drill and what does your left hand do while your right hand, I mean, to the crazy, you know, to the crazy detail, yeah. which is, Fantastic, because it really helps emphasize the parts that need to be emphasized. And all our training we do rests on the shoulders of the students and not the instructor and, 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 and not me, the instructor or, or the instructor trainer or not me, the, the training director. You know, it has to be centered around the student. So what that means is that we have to keep putting things in front of the student in such a way that they, when they're close to certification, get that final aha moment, that final epiphany that makes things, make things come full circle. And, and, and we do this with our, our theory, which we set up in such a way that it, it, it complements the uh, linking um, training in the confined water or in the initial parts of the classes, the what we call the personal skills development. And later then we become divers that use that in critical skills training. And that's when things become full circle. That's when the correlation between the theory, the personal skills, and now the critical skills in which we put them to the tests um, gets, gets complete, right? Uh, and f f to, to give an explanation of what that is, is like the theory sets you up from a, from a you know, theory point of view. It's like, okay, what, what do we need to cover? The personal skills are the most overlooked 
development area in scuba industry, I think. Hmm. Actually learning how to move yourself underwater. And I draw this parallel a lot of the times to an explanation to explain what what we do differently. And in so many sports, it's so obvious, eh, right? Take, for example, swimming or dancing or mountain biking or skiing or whatever, you know, any, any sort of sports where you're physically active has a strong motory skill development part of it. Mm-hmm. I can teach you the steps of a cha-cha-cha. I can write them down, what your left leg should do, what your right leg should do, what your hip should do, what your arm should do, how you should look at your partner, all that sort of I could write that down. And it's, it is written down. And these dancing books are super complex to read. And if I sound like I know what I'm talking about, yeah, I took dancing lessons. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but it's so funny because I, I bought one of these books because, I, I mean, not f- because I was, you know, going down the path of buying two high-waist tight, you know, trousers and yeah. get my hair black and all the way I back. I want to see but, you in your flamenco uniform. That's, exactly. That's my- <laughs> uh, I don't have one. I'm sorry. Um, but I was interested in how they would describe how to move your body. Uh, in in such a way that it expresses a dance because dance is about expressing emotion through movement right and of course we're not going down that path that far we're not expressing emotions with our back kick i mean it's not that not that dramatic <laughs> sometimes like what did you just do that for right <laughs> the motion under the water <laughs> that's true but it's not because but, i put my back kick this way or that way it's usually because i my middle fingers are up right? <laughs> exactly it, it's a different movement yeah no, so but it was interesting to read how they would describe the movement of of, of the body, and I think um, in 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 many ways, like I said earlier, it's it's about getting the diver to reach a conclusion in their own minds, like hey, hey, I need to send these and these signals to my butt in order for me to move my legs in such a way. Mm-hmm. And that requires a little bit of knowledge of you and your anatomy, what works together, what muscle groups are antagonists of other muscle groups and so on and so forth. And I think that helps, or at least it helps me a lot in getting the point across um, with moving divers underwater. And it works from that, from the very beginning, from the open water class, from entry-level classes, right? When we teach them, the very basics of scuba diving, which is breathing. And how how does your body react to being underwater? And as you know, all of the all of the initial classes are without scuba equipment. It's no equipment. It's it's bathing suit or swimming trunks, and that is it. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing else. Let's first see what your body does underwater. And let's get your land brain, park it, and let's let's get let's get a water brain. Mm-hmm. That's that's the first thing we need to do. And when that's done, let's now slowly introduce some of the equipment that can now do what your body wants to do underwater, but help you. Let's give you some tools to make your job easier, right? And that's what it's all about. And then that's when, um, that's when we can get into um, the fact that you as a diver should be less focused on the equipment and more focused on you as the biggest piece of equipment. Yeah. And and the other stuff is just tools that make it either more or less efficient. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that that's a really, really important point is that at the end of the day, the, the real problem to solve, there is some manipulation of equipment, right? There is some theoretical underpinning that has to be, you know, present, but you're kind of, you know, hitting on the point that the, the key here is, is the mindset is the, is the correlation is, is the, you know, metabolizing of the, that theory and that gear into me as, as the student, I, I remember, you know, and, and I think just to finish that line of thought, the, the idea of, of then the experience of that individual, of that student is then what drives it home when they have that aha moment, when they put all those things together. Uh, the story I was going to tell was, you know, I remember one of the, the key things that I've designed for a lot is the ability to, to run experiments. In other words, market experiments to test risky assumptions in your business plan, business model, right? So a risky assumption could be something like the, the customer will log on, right? Something like that. Hmm. Well, in this particular case is working in a hospital setting and, you know, the problem they were trying to solve as a team was, you know, these transmuted diseases, diseases that move from hospital bed to, to hospital bed, patient to patient on the hands of the healthcare providers, which is a kind of gross thing to think about, but it's a big, big problem to solve in a hospital. And, and especially in a, you know, they, I think they had like 30 hospitals, you know, a chain of hospitals. Um, if you can affect that, you can have a huge effect. So long story short, you know, one of the main ways that they do that is to ensure that healthcare providers can wash their hands, right, in between those visits. And unfortunately, the enforcement mechanism for that was a clipboard. They ha- literally hired somebody at every hospital to, to at, at the stations to watch and make sure doctors and healthcare providers were washing their hands. The other challenge is that, well, how do you know when your hands are clean? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you wash your hands with soap that says it's 90, kills 99.9% of, of, you know, bacteria, well, well, how do you know that's true? Do you, do you measure it under a germoscope and then, you know, you go, okay, yep. And now I'm washing my hands and now I'm measuring again. Oh yeah. It's nothing's there. You know, we really don't know. It's a feel thing, right? We did the action. We really don't know if it worked or it didn't, uh, as we all learned in COVID, right? <laughs> Especially singing right. happy birthday exactly. to ourselves a thousand times. But the solution this team came up with was essentially you stick your hands into something and it's an ultrasonic cleaner and you take your hands out and it gives you the green light that it's clean. It's guaranteed. It's tracking these doctors and healthcare providers, so on and so forth. Cool, cool solution. So I remember so clearly, you know, okay, let's design the experiment. And the riskiest assumption was, Hey, will doctors with PhDs, right? Stick their hands in, in this, in a device and think that it cleaned their hands or is washing the hands too tactile. It's something that we have to feel, right? How will this work? And I remember so clearly, okay, the, the key here is not whether or not the, the healthcare providers do that, whether or not the, what I was after as an instructor, as an educator was, can I get them out of the building to learn, to observe people? Hmm. Because the action before that was, well, let's go build it. Let's build it. Let's spend millions of dollars and implement it. And we actually never got the feedback. We never got evidence that says that this is worth building. This is worth the investment. So let's test it at its easiest form. So they took a cardboard box, they cut some holes in it, painted it up, made it look nice, blah, blah, blah. And and we said, okay, great. We have this experiment design. Let's get out of the building and see if, you know, the first risky assumption, will doctors put their hands in this thing or not? And I remember so clearly 
the the leader of the team as they were going you know getting ready to go out of the building is holding this box and she goes jeremiah you know i go by jeremiah in the in the business world she goes, are, are you serious like you're gonna send us out of this room with this box so hey i'm not sending you anywhere like you know this is your choice True. if you don't you guys don't want to go that's totally fine um but you know what's the worst that could happen in your mind well they're gonna laugh at us oh yeah maybe okay but how else are we going to learn this? Whether they'll do this? I mean, if we ask them, that's not really seeing what they'll do. It's just, they'll tell us something, but would you believe it? Well, no. So, well, this is kind of the only way to do it then. Right. And I remember just this like, look, and this is an adult, you know, who's very successful in her career and her, her team that she's leading out the door as they left, just like, you know, I cannot believe that you're making us do this was the feeling. Right. Mm. And I remember waiting on pins and needles for them to come back, you know, you know, half the day later to see how it went. And I remember just watching them come into the room, all smiles, totally different body demeanor, totally different, you know, action full of, you know, conversation about what happened and what it means and all this stuff. And, and they had learned a ton and all of a sudden it was just this wealth of what they didn't expect to happen, what they did. And to me, as an educator, I sat back and said, like, amazing. The, the, the point is driven here. That, yeah, with a little cardboard box and some holes in it, we can go out in half a day and learn more than we could have in you know, months worth of focus groups that you guys wanted to do. And so I think, I think that's one of the keys in designing the training is, is to present the opportunities for then the students to experience what you're talking about, experience the gear, experience the theory, experience whatever it is, and apply it in their own way. And granted, that experiment was choppy. It was, you know, they could have probably done it in a thousand different ways that would have been better. But the point wasn't to have a great experiment and to get great learnings. The point was to teach the team and especially that leader to get outside the building to learn. And that's yeah. the larger point, right? And I think that's kind of what you're hitting at is how do we get to that point in the design that, from a philosophical standpoint of the student experiencing it. You can't manufacture current. You can't manufacture, you know, well, I guess you can manufacture gear failures because you've done it to me tons, but you can't do those, can. right? But how do you apply it in the most real setting is a really big challenge from an education standpoint. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to make a note of that because I want to get back to that um, real setting because that's a very important point you're making. And I think you you – you said something interesting there. You said the assumption of the result is as expected, right? Okay, you go and do something and you do it because of a need. And when you've done that certain thing, if there's no way of measuring what the outcome is, like washing your hands, you expect the result is as expected. You you think, okay, I've washed my hands. My hands are there now for clean. Mm-hmm. But you don't know. Like you said, you haven't tested it. It might still be germs underneath your nails or you didn't wash your left pinky uh, properly or whatever. You know, there might still be a <laughs> booger damn there. left pinky. <laughs> yeah, you never know. So, and I think when, you, when, we, when we draw a parallel to scuba and to the first point I made in the beginnings, like, okay, if people are having a pragmatic point of view to a certain certification level, that's fine. That's measurable. That's doable, right? I can test that. I can put things into play that can actually verify that from from checking your hands if they're actually dirty still or not. But 
from a more deeper context than washing your hands within scuba, it's a tricky part because when you take a class, and we you, you mentioned technical training before, when you take that class and you're finished with that class and you got your card and you got the pragmatic part of that card, so now you can go and get your gases filled in the last time, you also assume that you know to dive these dives or do these dives and assume that you can handle the risks that they entail. Um, but that's a big big assumption. Mm-hmm. And that's much harder to test because, hey, there's a bit more consequence to it than washing your hands. Oh, then are still dirty. Oh, let me wash them again. You know, then doing a dive. Shit, there's a problem. I cannot solve this problem. Oh, I cannot try again. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the thing in scuba. We 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 rarely get do-overs because um, that's that's the nature of the 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 elements we're in, right? We're 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 under the mercy of of nature, and we need to have an exit plan regardless of what the problems are. So this is this is where when we come back to the early points of getting someone to realize that what they're actually seeking is a safe way to conduct the dives that they're willing to do is is sometimes a tough sell is sometimes a hard sell and i think this is why we as utd are are uh, are a little bit of a boutique agency because it takes a certain amount of diver with a certain amount of um uh, willpower to put themselves in a position where they're going to be um tested in, in such a way that is very confronting you know uh, but on the other hand very very giving as well uh, one of the most popular programs we teach is is called our essentials programs right i mean it's the essentials of recreational diving or essentials of technical diving or essentials of ccr or essentials of side mount and all these essentials classes are are not teaching divers to go deeper they're not teaching them to dive with different gases. They're, they don't do anything for them from a pragmatic point of view. They only give them selfish personal skills. It's a, it's a pure skill development class, personal skill development class. And that's I, always when I teach those classes, I always start off with thanking them for trusting me or trusting us as an agency to Take the time to invest in yourself and, and trusting us to help you develop yourself personally because they're spending the same amount of money and time that it would if they would take a class that does give them, you know, new limits, let's call it that, yeah. uh, be it depth or time or gas or whatever. So I think I think that's the, the that's the 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 great part of 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 ours as an agency we have a, such a flat organizational structure that we are so in touch with our instructors that we constantly talk back and forth about how this works and how we can do that and we talk about that also a lot in our IDCs um, that it's important to to bring across that you pay for training and you earn your certification and it's 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 not that hey i want my so and so card well the, 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 what does that mean for you right? right i mean so first dial down the expectment the, the 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 acceptance of the fact that okay you want to learn to dive in a certain area or or environment 
let's let's talk about that. What does that mean, right? And and that's when I liked when you said let's put things in a real setting. Let's get these people out of this building, and let let make them do something physical to to test their reactions, not to just have them on a, write down on a piece of paper what they would do or what they would um, ideally do. No, let's see if if actually. What they really want is that black coffee without anything added. Right. Let's see. Let's see if that's what they're going for, and and that's what we're doing with our critical skills, right? And when we when we develop critical skills training, when I write those things down, and when I think about um, the order of of these skills, they're not just a you know a bucket of mayhem we drag with us <laughs> as instructors underwater and just dump it over the people and see how they can cope it it's not it's not boot camp uh, right. in the military um e- even they've gone away from that type of training and they had months to build people up afterwards we usually have a long weekend that's it mm-hmm. so if there are any instructors out there that still go by that you know let's give them stress tests and break down dives and all that sort of stuff i would really urge you to to start looking at a bit more of a proactive and a, a building block fashion of training these things, because you hear a lot in the in 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 education that you learn from your mistakes, mm-hmm. and I think that's the biggest load of BS there is. Hmm. No one learns from their mistakes. You make a mistake, oh, I made a mistake. No, no, no. You only learn from your mistakes if you get a chance to do it over. Mm-hmm. And do it in a different way, right? Einstein quoted that it's the the um, definition of stupidity, right? To do the same thing over and over and expect a different outcome. Yep. So, I mean, if you only stop at the saying, "Hey, you learn from your mistakes," no, you don't. You know, it's it, you have to do that over again and test yourself and choose another res- uh, solve. Um, uh, solution and see if that works and that's what we're doing with these critical skills usually now you've you've experienced this firsthand um usually the the the, the failures the divers make are just emphasized by the instructor to right. drive a point home right if someone in the team descends before the rest of the team the instructor might swim down to that team and say stay on the surface, and then swim down to that solo diver now on the bottom, and say, "Hey, you're you're you know, you have a problem. Yeah. Solve it." But you're alone. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah. And then on the video, we'll see. Okay, that's why you don't do that. Or if some diver constantly turns around and almost kicks other divers in the face with their mask, we might take a mask of that diver. Now that's not to test the diver how good they are in replacing a mask. No. It's to teach the diver that just kicked the mask off the face of his team to not move in such a way to kick mm-hmm. the face of another teammate. And and it's these things that we want to build in so that they can come out of the water as a cohesive team and not just, you know, three or f- two or three divers just happen to swim next to each other and then we stop in the middle of a swimming and then the instructor swims out in front and says, hey, you do a valve drill. Great. We swim on. And then, hey, you pretend that your necklace is free-flowing. Okay, great. Continue. And then, oh, you pretend that your SPG is bubbling. You know, that's not training. Right. Th- that's just monkey see, monkey do. That's just, okay, do this. Okay, do this. Okay. That's that's personal skills. That's right. easy stuff. 
right? What we want is the awareness of the team. It's like a introduce certain failures that make sense underwater failures that are so realistic that the divers almost turn into a certain form of role playing and then they have to establish an exit strategy and and no skill gets stopped in the middle of something because no if 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 you're out of gas you don't miraculously get your gas back Right. I mean, you have to you have to follow through the consequences, the complete consequences, and not just say because everyone, like you said, if you would ask those doctors, what would you do do in such and such a situation? They would write down the perfect answer. But let's let's go not ask them. Let's go and test it. Let's mm-hmm. put it out in front of them and see how they would react. That's the most powerful teaching tool you have to test people in the environment how to handle certain failures. And, and yeah, we do that with all sorts of development tools, right? Air guns, certain failures we put into place, certain ways of placing divers in, um, in certain situations to elicit a reaction from the team. And none of these skills, not one single skill, or drill or failure is only to test one diver. It it is always always a team thing. Mm-hmm. It's always how does the whole team react to this failure, and and that's what sometimes drives me up the wall when you when you hear these training or you hear these near misses or you hear these divers that are planning dives, and the whole talking about the solo aspect comes into play and when we dive this in this configuration it's better off to just be your own self and you know oh my god no it is not safe it is not the way to do it you know redundant we have done a video on this on our youtube channel on the utd youtube channel about redundancy many people get redundancy wrong they think redundancy has to do with the fact that you have to solve your own problems no no nothing nothing of the sort Redundancy is just to hinder your team less mm-hmm. in them helping you solve your problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that you can do it on your own. That's not what we're saying with redundancy. But yeah, that's a talk uh, for another, uh, <laughs> another, another podcast. Po- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think you hit on an important point, important point in the sense that if you start with that empathy from a design mm. perspective, right? And you say, okay, well, let me put myself in that perspective in the, the, the student's shoes and then also at the same time in the instructor's shoes that they can use this. Yeah. And then you talk about, okay, how do we lay this out from a, from a design standpoint over time? I mean, if you jumped in the water, for example, with some of the critical skills that you're describing and you just start grabbing mass from an open water student on their second dive, yeah. I mean, it's pointless, right? From a, from, from a design standpoint, you're actually not building that diver up anymore. Now they might go, Oh, we're going to make them have a bunch of mistakes so that they have experienced everything they could ever experience under the water in open water dive three. Um, Right. But you have to think through in the design of it. How do we start with what's the foundation that they need to rely on? So if you come up and for example, steal the diaphragm out of my, uh, out of my uh, deco bottle, right? If I don't have, the ability in the first place to make a stop to even get to that deco bottle, mm. it's pointless. If I can't hold myself at 20 feet, well, the diaphragm thing's kind of a pointless exercise other than, yeah. oh, 
you know, he, he got surprised. Yeah. And so I think looking at a design standpoint from, you know, not only the, the empathy, but then saying, okay, what is the progression of, of things that need to happen and how do I lay that out in a way that then they have experiences of that progression? And I think if you look at that from a, from a training philosophy or training design philosophy, you know, the heart of it being empathy, the next piece being, you know, the progression and the last piece being, okay, here's how we experience or create opportunities for our students and our instructors, by the way, to experience what we're talking about here. Mm. That's that's the magic. When when all those things come together in in their own way, then there's there's the magic. I think where it starts to break down is exactly the expectation. Okay, I'm, I'm going to a tech one class because I'm going to learn, you know, how to how to uh, dive to 150 feet, and I don't have a back kick yet, and the yeah. class becomes all about the back kick, and you go, well, that's that's the progression breaking down. Exactly. Or if you come to a class and you say, okay, hey, I want to, you know, learn how to uh, do, you know, team, team ascent. And you describe it and you make them write down all the scenarios and you show them a video of teams ascending. You say, you get it? And they go, yeah, okay, great. Now you've learned team ascent. That's the experience part of it breaking down, hmm. right? And then if you, if you go to the back the spot of it and you say, okay, hey, to, in order to take this tech one class, uh, it's going to be you know, three days in the classroom of me talking and a hundred page or hundred question quiz. And if you get one wrong, you're out. You failed. Yeah. That's the empathy part, right? This is impossible. Well, I, I'm not ready for that or, or one, that's a terrible experience, but two, you know, that, that empathetic spot, I'm not ready to step into that yet. Um, right. I'm, I'm just testing out the water. So I think you have three points of failure that in good design of education, especially for adults, you know, if the empathy is not there, if the progression or the thought through the progression is not there, and then the opportunity to experience that in some way is mm. not there, either any of those can break down to then not produce the result that was, you know, intended from, from that course. So it's super interesting from a philosophy standpoint. Exactly. And it's, and it's, this is also why it's sometimes so hard to really put, uh, to, to explain to people how, how long it sometimes takes to write a certain program. Because it's not just as simple as just putting a bunch of facts on some sheets and, and, and letting it go out there. It ha- they all have to tie in to, to the philosophy. They all have to tie into the theory, to from the theory to the, the, the personal skills class and then going on to the, maybe the next level or how are they coming into this class from, from what background, right? So um, that makes it challenging. So, so when I set out to design a certain class, like for example, right now, I'm rewriting the new Scooter uh, Cave um, program. Um, and it was, a, you know, some instructors are, are out there and they're saying, hey, just put it out, put it out there. You know, we're waiting. Yeah, but, but it's not that simple right it sounds like a very simple thing to do but it's it's a, it's a tricky one to put into play because hey it has to work from all levels it has to be okay overhead for a simple recently cave two diver but also someone who might have a ton of experience cave diving and might even already be on rebreathers with this re- with this scooter how do i work this in to the 
course materials so that we're teaching them both something, but not boring one and, and over-educating the other right. and leaving the door open for both of them to go the other way, right? And and that's the that's the interesting part. I mean, that's the that's the, the challenging part from from a design point of view. It's like how do we keep this in such a way that it's timeless, um, but applicable to multitude of levels? Um, and that's the yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, if you're out there listening to this right now and and you've taken courses, but maybe you haven't been involved in some way of developing you know, learning or such, you know, whatever it might be for, for other people, you, you may not realize just how much thought and energy and intention and, and debate and so on and trial and error, I would add, go into, you know, designing education. It's, it's doesn't stop when, you know, we, we get out of high school or college and okay, my education's done. Mm. Um, there are constant places where you're being educated, whether it's in my, you know, compliance training, which was terrible, you know, lack yeah. of empathy, lack of, a, you know, progression and lack of, uh, actual application or experience. But, <coughs> excuse me, but the, the people that are behind that training in your scuba, and I, I think, I, I, you know, I can tout UTD's horn here, um, quite a bit in the sense that I've experienced it as a student to think, okay, what is the, the customer experience of this? And you know, striking that right balance of those three things and getting it right for me versus, you know, my teammate, that's a hard thing. And yeah. for me, for the most part, what's interesting is sometimes, I, you know, in my coaching program, I was always told, okay, go back and, and do this again. And I go, well, why? Like, I already did that. And I go do it. And I go, oh, wow, did I ever actually do this? And that's because... I have a new lens. I had new information I didn't have before. And it's, you know, and that's the, the beauty of the content in some ways is that, oh, wow, I, I've seen this five times, but every time I feel like I haven't seen it before because the things that are being referenced or the things that I weren't there before are now there. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a, it's a hard, you know, needle to thread. And, and one of the things that I appreciate about, appreciate about you, Ben, in, in that role is that I think there's, uh, you, you demonstrate constantly a willingness to keep learning and keep pushing it forward. And, you know, I'll bring things to you sometimes and say, Hey, I, this didn't make any sense to me in the, in this course. And you'll say, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Let we need to evolve it this way forward or, or, Hey, I saw this in, in another way that other training agency or another, you know, outside of school or the dance company that you're the troop yeah. that you, you tour with on the, on the, you know, winters, right. Yeah. Um, the, the, <laughs> The Dutch troubadours, um, yeah, that's dancers. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, remember that those guys you tour with. You know, when you're not doing scuba, well, you know <laughs> they're teaching it this way how to move a body. So maybe we can try it this way and and set our instructors up. And I think that's important. I think that's maybe the final piece of all this. You know, empathy, progression, experience, and then continual improvement is is probably the last piece. Is that if it sits the way it sit, sat when you designed it on day one then it actually hasn't created room to evolve and grow and get better and better and better over time. Yeah. That's the other tricky part of the design is how do I create room for it to get better and not stagnate? How do I let it live and, and grow? Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, when, cause all, I mean, all I am at the end of the day is an instructor, right? And, and that's it. Um, 
just like you said, I, I put a lot of experience and, and seeing how things work and not work puts me in a position to to create these courses with a lot of empathy because I've seen it a lot. And, and that's what I use uh, as a way to give the instructors a shortcut, a quickest way to get the point across, so to speak. Um, but in order for anyone that's teaching anything in in a in a correct way in a passionate way in a, a meaningful way in a way where the instructor is present at the time of teaching you have to be the 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 everlasting student yourself right you have to constantly be that inquisitive person uh, in all walks of life to to get the most out of the thing that you 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 put yourself into and to really absorb stuff and be present in, in, in what you're doing because that way you learn how to um, get points across. And, and like I said, I come from a sales background and for me, everything is sales. Teaching is sales. I'm selling you knowledge. I'm selling you a way of doing things. And if you look at it from that point of view, you know, we, we cannot, we can never have bad students. And, and you know, we talked about this um, when you were helping me out with the IDC uh, last time I was over. Uh, and we talked with the IDC candidates about this. It's like, okay, there's no such thing as a bad student. Because um, if you think about it as a, from a sales point of view and, and see, okay, the customer is always king, right? Okay, great. Then the student's always king because the student is your customer. The student is buying your knowledge. The student is buying your teachings. And if they're doing something that you didn't expect them to do, it's not their fault. You should have explained it better in a different way. If a student comes up to your class, is unprepared, it's not a bad student. It's a bad instructor. You didn't emphasize strongly enough that they should be prepared. Right? right? So, and if it's still, if this, if that still doesn't work, if you then send four emails, three letters, send a post of, and write a letter to their mom, having them <laughs> explain that they should be prepared and they still don't come prepared, then it's still your fault. Then you should just make the course so that you don't have to prepare. Mm -hmm. If it's that hard for the students to prepare, don't make them prepare. Constantly point the finger at yourself. That's the only way you will evolve. And I think that's the only way to, to truly stay passionate about teaching you hear so often with instructors in the scuba industry that eventually they only want to teach tech classes they're done with the open water classes or try dives nah i don't want to do try dives anymore that's not me i want to teach tech cave rebreather classes on a scooter you know that's that's what i want to do no 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 that's the diving you want to do maybe you shouldn't be an instructor maybe right. the instructor part is your ego wanting you to be an instructor sounds cool, right? For me, personally, the teaching of scuba is a completely different animal than the doing of scuba. Mm -hmm. I happen to like both, you know? I, I, I do a lot of tri-dives, a lot, you know, and, and refreshers. I mean, I'm going in the water on Sunday with a refresher. I went in the water uh, last weekend with a with a girl who just was a very inexperienced, like twelve dive old diver that I've never met before, 
and she wanted an experience dive. So no course, no nothing, just a dive where we just talk about what she's doing, how she's doing it, and maybe some pointers here and there, very low key, nothing really structured. And I love that stuff. I love to see the passion of those young developing divers and you know, where my lead and, and I will give my five cents on, on or two cents on that. And that has nothing to do with the, the, the dive, you know, right. that was just purely for me from an em- empathic um, fulfillment for me. I got joy out of that. I mean, from, from that point of view that I could see, okay, great. The things that she gained from that in self-confidence of doing that dive, because her parent wanted me to, give her some experience in, in, in the diving. So, okay, great. I can do that by planning the dive, setting up the dive for her, putting her equipment together, make her swim behind me, and we come out of the water together. And every five fin kicks, I'll turn around and look if she's still there, and there'll probably be saucer big eyes looking only at me, and she'll follow me around. Perfect, great. Is that an experience dive? No, that's a survival dive. Right. You know, it's just following these, you know, put a bell around their neck and walking <laughs> around like a goat in a field. It's nothing I literally, there. I literally saw this the other day, which which from, I won't name names, but from a shop that I know of that, that you know, the visibility got so bad in the lake that they had come up with a Home Depot version of basically a carabiner clip on the end of two sides of a bungee mm. to keep the team together. So they literally have a long bungee that they're clipping to each other. Yeah. And you go, it's the same thing, right? You, you know, might as well just clip the bungee on and make sure the, the carabiner clip's still there. Oh, my and goodness. follow along, right? I know. I, yeah. I, I've done anyway. a whole rant on a buddy line once. Uh, and when I sit back in my garden with a glass of wine, it's probably on the, on the YouTube channel, probably maybe on an old Now Dive YouTube channel from way back when. Uh, and I just went off a rant on a buddy buddy line thing. It's just it's no, it's no one want to dive on a, on a diving leash, you know. You're yeah, not walking exactly. your dog. You're walking the dog. Yeah. Sorry, I yeah. interrupted your story, but they brought that up. That yeah, oh, of course you could have done that as well. Leashed her to you, and that would have guaranteed the safety. Well, we guaranteed that she would stay with me, you yeah. know, and would have given her even less self confidence. So I approached it from the other way. It's like, hey, what do you want to do? This is a lake. You've never been here before. I've been here tons. Where do you want to go? I can, I can, I can, as um, I can, how you say, uh, suggest certain areas like there. There's usually pike over there, and lo and behold, we found a big pike. But that's you know, that's great when something like that happened. I promised her a pike, and this huge pike swim by, and I'm like, yes, perfect on her behalf. <laughs> I can't count, remember how many pikes I've seen in my life, but she was like all over the place, right? So, and then went to some a place where there's these, um. I don't know what you call them in English, these beautiful um, leaves that float on the surface. Hmm. A lotus flower, maybe? Oh, okay, yeah, lotus, yeah. You know, they have the still come from the bottom and it goes all the way to the surface and it's this big round... Oh, lily pad, yeah. Lily pad, lily pad. that's it, yeah. lily pads. A beautiful area of lily pads. And if you swim underneath it and the sun is just right, it's fantastic, right? I mean, we're at six feet of water. So, but beautiful. So I said, go from here to there. And I said, how much do you know about compass navigation? And then she's like every other diver and did no clue about compass navigation uh, in general, I'm generalizing a little bit, but you know, 
so made a quick little workshop on the on the compass heading and I said but but forget the compass a little bit because it's a slopey bottom so keep the slopey bottom on the left on this way and then on the right on that way and we'll should end up at the same spot and I said I'll just follow you around you do you and we'll just swim around and I explained her some hand signals if she gets confused whatever and then we had a great dive and she kind of swam we swam on par right i didn't want to in in utd we have a, 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 a slang thing which is called a trust me dives we don't like trust me dives and if i would have just taken the control 100 percent, dragged her along even on a buddy line or something like bullshit like that it would be a 100 percent trust me dive she would have no clue where she was underwater she would just be breathing underwater and moving forwards that's it yeah. that's yeah. That, that's the that's the whole you know amount of education she would have got from that dive and the whole point of the dive was to give her some experience yeah. now an experience is something else than routine if i should just make her swim underwater she just gets a little bit more routine in swimming underwater there's yeah. no learning there's no experience to be had there so we had a, a great 45 minutes underwater, saw two big pikes, the lily pads, eh, fantastic. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think you, the, the, we'll wrap this one up here, but that, that point about trust me dives, the inverse or, or not necessarily the inverse of that, but what you're really saying in a, a trust me is don't trust yourself. And that's, that's the big difference. And, and if you're trying to build people up to be competent in whatever, whether it be this 12 dive, you know, you know, lady that you went out with who's just trying to build some confidence in, in general around diving mm. or it be a tech three diver learning, you know, how to manage, uh, you know, this crazy gas on the surface versus the, that depth. If you just say, well, do it the way I do it or, you know, follow me, trust me. And you don't create those opportunities for them to to experience it, to, yeah. to apply it. Then it's also saying at the end of it, when this is all done, you you don't trust yourself. Yeah, that's exactly. the, that's the conclusion. You, you yep. need to come with me if you want to do these dives again, because I'll handle all the stuff that you can't do. Exactly, I think that's the wrong approach, right? One hundred percent. You have to show them the value, and 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 that's the, another big part of of the whole design of this. You know, of, of of designing scuba or teaching scuba is 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 to, to letting them see the value of a certain protocol or a certain skill. Because uh, if the value isn't there, you're not willing to buy it. If you're not buying it, you're not using it. And if you're not using it, <laughs> you don't know what you're not using. And then you go down that path of people think they're very safe, but they're unaware of the things they're unaware of, and you go down that path of hey. You know, damn, now I'm in a pickle. I wish I, I wish I had, right. That's the name of it. I think one of the documentaries I wish, you know, Yeah. Um, exactly. Well, great, Ben, this, this has been awesome. I feel like as always, we could just talk for another three hours on this topic. Maybe we should come back and, and keep on going. Cause I think it's really interesting. Hopefully for you out there listening to this, it gives you a behind the scenes view of, of the thought and, and intention philosophy, all of that, that goes into a course that you might be taking this weekend or a course you have planned for next month or, or over the winter in the sense that I think, you know, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll always toot the UTD horn um, in the sense that 
I think that it's amazing um, the the way that this is designed and the way that it's executed. But I also know there are other agencies who put a lot of em- emphasis and, and thought and a lot of instructors that put that same emphasis and thought in, in uh, the way that they're approaching it. So give one of those people a high five. And now that you've seen a little bit of behind the scenes, the, the challenges and approaches to designing scuba training. Um, and if you want to experience uh, this firsthand, um, come find your UTD instructor. Come train with Ben. Ben will be out there. You're, you're coming to DEMA, right, this year? Yeah, yeah. I have a whole program. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the states, basically. East Coast, West Coast, Middle, and then back home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're, you're, yeah, so um, reach out to Ben. Ben at UTDScubaDiving, right? Dot com? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Ben at UTDScubaDiving.com. Reach out to Ben. Maybe there's an opportunity to meet meet up with him, um, you know, over the course of the next few months and and uh, and learn from him directly. But uh, Ben, as always, thank you for uh, spending the time and uh, thank you, and Jay. look forward to our uh, our third episode together. I think we're going to get into some gear, which will be kind of yeah, fun. that'll be fun. It'll be fun. Who doesn't love gear? Scuba gear, of course. Yeah, I have a, I have a fun question to ask you on that one. Uh, but we'll get there. Stay tuned out there uh, if you're listening for the next episode with Ben. Yeah. Um, and if you have not already, make sure that you've subscribed uh, so that you get notified when new episodes drop. And you can also go to thedivetable.com and leave a message, uh, an actual message, like a voicemail uh, on the website if you want to. It's a new feature that came out. And it, who knows? It might just get played on air at some point. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and you can always reach me at j at uh, thedivetable.com. Thanks for listening. And I hope you come back to listen to the next episode of The Dive Table. The Dive Table is a production of Fish Dive Surf Incorporated and a member of the Fish Dive Surf Podcast Network. You can find out more at www.fishdivesurf.com. 